Well, good morning, Abundant Life Church. It's good to see you guys. This is about the first time I've spoken all week. My voice has been shot all week, and so a number of people have been praying for me. My good doctor uh, prescribed some medicine for me that I probably should have started taking earlier in the week, but pray for me that I get through this message today. If we get this one recorded, then we're good to go for the rest of the services. And would you help me say hi to our Sandy campus, to our Vancouver campus, and those who are watching, join us online. God bless you guys. Happy Father's Day to all of you. It's good to be with you today. We are in the story of Ruth, and we're looking at this uh, story that is one of the most incredible love stories in the Bible. It's the story of the love that a man has for a woman. But what you've got to see behind this, or you'll miss the entire picture, is that it truly is a story of our Heavenly Father who loves us incredibly. And, and we'll see that as we go through the story, and we'll see it today when we get into chapter 3. It's what I call the R-rated chapter of the story. And so it's actually quite humorous and funny, and, and I'm looking forward to, to teaching through it. But before we get there, let's take a moment to make sure that all of us are tracking with where we're going with the story. Now remember, the book of Ruth is set in the time of what's called the Judges. And it was a dark period in Israel's history, about a thousand years before Jesus would actually come onto the scene. And the people were doing, as is recorded in the last verse in the book of Judges, they did whatever was right in their own eyes. And so there was no sense of absolute right or wrong. There was no one to, to hold anyone accountable. And it just was a horrible, dark period in Israel's history. Well, in the town of Bethlehem, where the story takes place, is a man whose name is Elimelech. And Elimelech decides to move his family to Moab because there's a famine in Bethlehem, the house of bread. And so he takes his beautiful wife and sweet wife, Naomi, to the land of Moab, along with their sons, Malon and Kilion. Well, they get there, and no sooner do they get there that Elimelech dies. We don't know why, but, but he dies. And so in the course of time, Malon and Kilion, they both marry Moabite women, and their names are Ruth and Orpah. And so time goes on. After about 10 years, uh, both Malon and Kilion died. They passed away. Again, we don't know why. But now all three of the women are left alone, defenseless to care for themselves. And so when Naomi hears that the famine in Bethlehem has now left and that that's over, she decides we need to go back home. I need to go back to my hometown, to Bethlehem. And so she begins to go back to Bethlehem. And on the way back, she stops and she turns to Ruth and to Orpah and says, you girls need to go back to your home. You need to go back to your parents. You need to go back to your people, find husbands, have babies, and get on with your life because I've got nothing to offer you. And Orpah does what you would expect most people to do, and that is to turn around and to, to go back home. But Ruth, she says, no, wherever you go, Naomi, I will go. And your people, they'll be my people. Your God will be my God. It's become this beautiful, beautiful passage of Scripture in the Bible. And it, and it just shows so much about the commitment and the character of Ruth. And so they make the 50-mile trek back to Bethlehem. When they get there, everybody welcomes Naomi and says, sweet, Naomi's back, she's back. And she says, don't call me sweet, call me Mara, because the Lord has dealt very bitterly with me. And so now she's a bitter, grumpy old lady, and she's trying to make her way back and, and, and have her life there in Bethlehem. Well, as time goes on, they realize we have no food. 
We've got nothing to eat. And so Ruth makes the decision, I'm going to go out into the fields and glean from the harvesters. And it just so happens that they got back in Bethlehem at the beginning of harvest season, which really is an indication that God was about to do something new in their lives. So he was going to bring about a brand new beginning in their lives. And so she says, I've got to go back and, and I've got to work in the fields and don't know where I'm going to go, don't know what I'm going to do, but Naomi, could I do that? And, and Naomi gave her the permission to do that. And then we come to that, that verse in chapter 2 that I dearly love, that phrase that the author uses. He says, it just so happened. It just so happened that she found her way to the field of Boaz. Now, don't you love it when you and I come across those those times of blessing where we look back across the course of our lives. We didn't see it then, but we see it now. And we just stumble into the field of blessing. We just stumble into the field of dreams. Isn't that great when you, when you do that? You, you look back over the course of your life and you, and you see how things were so bad then, but now in 2020 vision, hindsight, you can see how God was at work in those moments that were so difficult for us. How, how wonderful it would be if you and I could just see it in the moment. Wouldn't that be good? Wouldn't it be just awesome if you and I, in the moment of desperation, in the moment of discouragement, in the moment of darkness, that we could see in the moment God's hand working in our lives? But unfortunately, we can't because many times we're too discouraged. Many times we're, we're too distraught. Many times we are just beside ourselves and we think there's no way God's hand is at work in this moment in my life. Only years later, you look back and you see where that indeed was the case. I remember when my wife and I were in a ministry back in Indianapolis, not in Indianapolis, but in North Carolina. Um, actually, no, we were in Indianapolis, and we were fired from a church. I was only 23 years old. I was fired from a church, and it was a devastating time for us, and my wife miscarried uh, twice during that season. We packed up all of our stuff and left it in Indianapolis, moved back to Virginia to try to find a church. We couldn't find anything, and it was a really difficult time for us, but, and I look back, and I almost decided to get out of ministry. I was 23, and I thought, oh, my goodness, if, if this is what being a pastor is all about, I think I'll take a pass. And lo and behold, I ended up back in Indianapolis, of all places. And, and I really believe that God used that, that transition season for us back then that at the time seemed so dark and so discouraging as a setup to prepare me to move to Oregon to begin a church. But I couldn't see it at the moment. I couldn't see it at the time. But in looking back, I, could, I can now see how God was just taking a very difficult time. And, and like a master weaver, he was just weaving a beautiful tapestry to prepare us and to prepare, to prepare me to move to Oregon to start a church. And, and I think one of the greatest lessons that we can find here in this story is if you could just start looking, start looking, start raising your antennas and start looking for the God moments in your life. Start looking for those it just so happened moments because they're all around you. And the reason they're all around you is because God never leaves you. 
God never walks away from you. In your, in your deepest discouragement, God is there. In your, in your tears, God is aware. He, he knows what you're going through. He knows the steps you're taking. And even though at the time you're thinking, there's no way God could be in this picture. There's no way God could be in my story. There's no way God could be in my life right now. He's there. He, he promises to never leave us nor forsake us. And so nothing just happens. Just learn that lesson. Everybody say, nothing just happens. Nothing just happens. And so Boaz is a man of strength. He's a man of standing in Bethlehem, which means he was a man of conviction. He was a man of character. He was generous. He was kind. He was gracious in every way. He was a respectful person. And on top of that, he read his Bible. He drove a Chevy Silverado. He listened to country music. He loved Jesus. And all of this stuff, okay, could be an Escalade for some of you, Chevy Silverado, Ford, whatever. And, 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 he, and he was just that kind of guy. Now, ladies, you would be blessed. You would be blessed if you could find a man like that. And guys, you'd be smart if you would take your cues from Bo. Okay, so Boaz, he drives to work one day and, is, and he has his first Ruth sighting. And remember, he invites her over for lunch and he's very respectful, he's very kind to her. Doesn't try to put a move on her. Doesn't, doesn't do anything but respect her and to care for her. In fact, he, he, he tells his own men, listen, when you're out there harvesting the wheat, Take and drop some of it behind you. Just drop some of it behind you. So she's out there walking in the field, and she's thinking, oh, my goodness, look at all the wheat these guys are just dropping. I'm stumbling over the blessings that God is just, is just pouring into my life. She's literally stumbling over these blessings. And, and so Boaz sends her home with enough food that would take care of them for, for two weeks, for her and for her mother-in-law, which, again, guys, is a great lesson for you here. If you want to get the girl, you've got to get the mother-in-law too. Okay, you're just wise if you do that. So what we need to learn at this juncture is, is God blesses us to be a blessing. God never, ever, ever blesses you to hoard. God never, ever blesses you so you can brag about your blessings. God blesses you to be a, to be a conduit to blessing into the lives of other people. Never intended for you and, and for me to, to be a reservoir. He never intended to bless you so that you could hold and hoard, but he blessed you so that you can be a blessing to others, whether it's material possessions or grace or whether it's mercy or forgiveness, whatever it happens to be. If he's blessed you in that way, he wants you to pass that on to other people. Now, can you imagine how happy and excited Ruth and Naomi must be coming out of a season of famine only to go into a season of feasting? And I love the way they responded to this. It, you, when you read the story, and again to remind you, Ruth, she was absolutely amazed at God's love. She was amazed at God's blessing. And the only proper response was to humble herself before God. And she expresses that by saying, who am I? Who am I, Boaz, that you would take such notice of me in this way? And that's the only proper response when we recognize the blessings that God has given to us. Don't ever take for granted the blessings that God has given to you. Don't get used to them. Don't get used to God's blessing. Always remain amazed. Always stay astonished at the blessings that God gives to you. Always have an attitude of gratefulness and a posture of humility for what God has done in your life. We don't deserve it. We don't work for it. There's nothing we can do to earn it. God blesses us because that's who he is. 
And so then the relationship goes silent. And, and Ruth goes to work for the next six or seven weeks, and she doesn't hear a thing from, from Boab. She, you know, no text messages, no phone calls, no Facebook posts. She stopped, he stopped driving by. He said, I don't see you driving by the house anymore and checking things out. And so Boaz is like the average guy in this respect. Okay? He doesn't know how to close the deal. And, and so she's left to wonder, are we just friends or are we more than friends? I mean, everybody in town is talking. Naomi sees it. The townspeople see it. The workers in the field, they see it. But he's just having a hard time closing the deal. I mean, there's a perfect match. There's chemistry. There's attraction. There's sparks. But, but they're, they, they're just not, it seems like, falling in love. And so Naomi, the mother-in-law, she takes some initiative in this, in this chapter. Now, remember, in the last chapter... Ruth took the initiative, and she says, I'm going to go to the field to glean. In this chapter, Naomi is taking the initiative, and it shows the value of having good friendships, okay, even between a mother-in-law and a daughter-in-law. And so Naomi comes up with a plan, a risky one. She comes up with a risky plan, but it's a plan nonetheless. Okay, in this culture, there were two options that Ruth had, basically, that, that women had. In this culture, if the girl had a dad, well, this is where the dad would get involved in the process. And so he would stand back and he would observe that what's going on. And so if he sees that, okay, I think this is a good guy, then he would get involved in the process. And he would go to the young man and he would say something perhaps like, I noticed that my daughter likes you. I noticed that it seems you like her as well. We need to know if this is a good match. And so I need to see your faith statement. I need to see your 401k, by the way, and I need to make sure that you're the right one for my daughter. Okay, that's basically what goes on. And if he decides that he's the right one, then the process proceeds. Well, the clock is ticking for Ruth because she's in a temporary job. It's winding down, and she doesn't have her dad to step in and do what he would normally do in this situation. So there's a second option. And that would have been what we might call the Moabite way. And the Moabite way would be to live together and sleep together and hope that everything would end happily ever after. Okay, but, but that usually doesn't happen. Usually doesn't happen. So Naomi comes up with what we'll call a third option in this. We'll call it pulling a Naomi, okay? It's, it's, uh, it's pulling a Naomi. It's not courting exactly. It's not dating exactly. So we'll call it nating, okay, named after Naomi. So she comes up with this plan. Now, what I want you to know, what you need to understand here, this is, this is descriptive and not not prescriptive. Okay, everybody say descriptive and prescriptive. Okay, this is not descriptive, okay? This is not descriptive. The author is, not, is telling us what they did. He's not suggesting this is what you do, okay? <laughs> You've got to understand that. You've got, you got to figure that out, okay? And it's, it's like Jonah. It's like Jonah when he ran from God, right? That was descriptive. That's not Jonah saying, well, if you want to obey God's will, then what you need to do is run from God, okay, so he'll chase you. No, that's descriptive. It's not prescriptive, okay? Many times we, we do what we think is best, you know, and, and, and all of that. Well, don't, 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 uh, don't, don't see this as being what, what uh, Naomi or the Bible is suggesting that we do. So we'll pick up the story here in chapter 3, chapter 3, verse 1. 
One day, Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not try to find a home for you where you'll be well provided for? And basically, what Naomi is saying to Ruth is this, Girl, you need to get yourself a husband, and I'm going to make that happen for you. I mean, the clock is ticking, the barley season is nearly over, and so what about Boaz? Okay, what about Boaz? She sits down, she has this conversation with Ruth about Boaz in verse 2. Is not Boaz with whose servant girls you have been a kinsman of ours? Tonight he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. In other words, she says, I heard there's a party going on in town, and I think you need to go down there to the party and just kind of hang out a bit and, and look for Boaz. Just, just go look for him down there at the threshing floor. And then verse 3, she says to Ruth, now you need to wash yourself and perfume yourself and put on your best clothes. Okay, so she's giving some great advice here to Ruth. In other words, quit wearing your I'm a grieving widow t-shirt. Okay, take that that t-shirt off and get rid of that ball cap that says I'm available. Okay, just take that off and, and put on something nice. Okay, girl, you need to get yourself cleaned up. Okay, get some of that Moabite delight that you brought with you, that perfume. I think you'll like that. And uh, just put some of that on. Pull the best dress you've got out of the closet and just clean yourself up. Okay, because Boaz, he's only seen you in the field. He's only seen you out there harvesting grain with the mud and the sweat and the tears and your hair all down on your face and you're sweaty. He's only seen you at your worst. You've got to give him something to look at, okay? So, so, so wash your hair and, and comb and get that weave going on and maybe go tanning and uh, get your nails done, maybe even get your toenails done and uh, put on some earrings, a little makeup and, uh, and shave your legs and pluck your eyebrows and do all that stuff. And, and you've you got to turn that boy's head. That's, that's what you need to do do. And, and so she's giving her some great advice. Ladies, wouldn't you agree? Oh, yeah. Okay. So giving her some good advice. And so then she says, then, then go down to the threshing floor, but don't let him know that you're there until he has finished eating and drinking. <laughs> okay. Now, I, can, I love this. Part. Now, the story is getting good. Don't, don't, don't let him know you're there. Let him, let him eat let him drink, okay? Now, I can picture if I were a dad today and I was reading the Bible to my, my daughter, I, I, I might skip chapter 3. And, and the, the daughter might say, Daddy, why does Ruth go from chapter 2 to chapter 4? Never mind, dear. It's just for some reason it got left out here. I'm not sure. But, but anyway, Ruth, now she might be thinking, but I don't want to chase after a man. Ruth might be saying to him, I just don't want to chase after a man. And, and maybe some of you ladies here, if you're looking, maybe you're thinking, I don't want to chase after a man either. Well, listen, you don't have to. Just get in their way. Okay, just, just get in their way. Um, because guys can be slow, and, and guys can be a little bit dumb, and, and so just get in his way. If he's in a small group at church, join the small group. If the, if the small group goes to Applebee's for lunch, then go with the small group to Applebee's for lunch. You just get in the guy's way. Find his face on Facebook and, and friend uh, him and, and maybe like a couple of things of his, okay? Now, don't go liking 25 things, okay? There's a Hebrew word for that. It's called stalker, okay? <laughs> don't do that. <laughs> don't, don't do that. Just like one or two things because remember, uh, Ruth, guys are not that smart. Boaz is a great person, but, but he's not that smart. He could be a little thick-headed and maybe even a little bit slow. So, so now... Don't go down there and, and don't make a scene with him. Like, like, like Boaz, we need to talk. 
We need to talk, Boaz. I mean, where are we in this relationship? Are we friends or are we really good friends? I mean, you haven't called me. You have stopped texting me. You no longer drive by my house. And I just need to know, where are we in this relationship? Basically, uh, Naomi is saying to Ruth, don't you go down there and go all train wreck on him. Okay, don't go all emotional and don't unload all of your baggage on, on him and play the needy, desperate girl. Okay, that would not be smart. You're smarter than that. Don't, don't do that. Okay, so wait until he's finished eating and wait until he's finished drinking. Okay, just go down there and just chill out a little bit. Okay, let him eat his, his, uh, his falafel and Coke or let him have his wine and his cheese or whatever and then... Get in his way. Just get in his way. Now, let me stop right here for just a moment. For some of you uh, who come from a more, shall we say, fundamentalist background, okay, and you're wondering, what does that word drinking mean? Hmm. What does that mean? Well, what it means is he had a couple of drinks, okay? He had a couple of drinks, maybe a, a glass of wine or two or, or maybe three, okay? So don't get all wound up about that, okay? If, if you're all wound up about that, Maybe you should have a drink. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> Did I just say that? No. So, so, you know, I think Boaz is a godly person. Um, uh, most, likely, <laughs> most likely he didn't have a lampshade on his head. Most likely he wasn't singing karaoke or any of that. But they're celebrating. They're having a good time. And probably much like we'll do in heaven, okay? It's like a party without sinning, okay? Doesn't that sound good? A party without sinning. So basically she says, Naomi, I mean, Ruth, uh, you need to fix yourself up. Don't, don't, don't run in there with all of the emotional baggage. Let him enjoy his celebration and then just get in his way. And so verse 4. So when he lies down, note the place where he's lying. And then go and uncover his feet and lie down. He will tell you what to do. Hmm. <laughs> now, ladies, please, let me, let me stop right here, okay? You do not, everybody say, every lady say, do not. You do not want to sneak into a man's house at night and lie down at his feet and, and wait for him to wake up, okay? Again, there's a Hebrew word for that, and the Hebrew word is stalker, okay? And, and so... That will be one big red flag, okay, if you do that. And then, then uh, Naomi says to her, or, or, or Naomi says to Ruth, uh, he, will, uh, he will tell you what to do. And I'm sure some of you guys are thinking, I, I, I bet you will. I, I bet you will. You know, and some of you guys are thinking, what a great verse. I love this verse in the Bible. I think I'm going to adopt this as my theme verse, and, and I'm going to start having devotions like right now and, and all of this. So now let me ask you guys a question. How many of you would say that this was bad counsel from Naomi? You know, some of you are thinking, I'm just not so sure about this counsel that Naomi is giving here. And, and how many of you would say, well, Naomi, she was a woman of faith, and she trusted God, and she trusted the character of, of uh, Boaz, and she trusted the character of Ruth. And, and, and she's, she's trusting God in this. You know, commentators actually differ a little bit on this advice that, that Ruth gave to her. And, um, and, and so how many of you would, would, would think that, you know, I'm not sure. I'm not sure about this. Well, some wonder, is she telling Ruth to cross the line? Is she telling Ruth to cross the line? I don't think so. 
I don't think so. I think she's getting really close. I think she's getting really close to it. That's for sure. But, but to cross it, no. And so in verse 5, um, she responds, I will do whatever you say to do, Ruth answered. And again, this is another great uh, picture into the character of Ruth. And it's obedience. It's obedience. It's one thing to obey a boss or to obey a parent. It's something really different and unique to obey a mother-in-law, a grumpy old mother-in-law at that. And so she does this, even she, she follows the advice, even in the face of possible humiliation. And so verse 6, so she went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. In verse 7, when Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. Grain pile. And so he, he, he did this because thieves would come in and steal grain, so he went and lay beside her so that he could protect it and watch over it. And so Ruth approached quietly, okay, like, like a ninja. She comes sneaking in at night, and she, she did just like Naomi suggested. She uncovers his feet, and she lay down beside him. And in the middle of the night, something startled the man, and he turned to discover a woman lying at his feet. And in verse 9, who are you, he asked. Who are you? And so it, it's dark. Uh, he can't see who it is. And it's not unusual for prostitutes to come to the threshing floor and to solicit men. So he doesn't know who this is. And he wants to know, who is that? Who's laying down there? And I can smell. I can smell that Moabite delight. <laughs> Smells good, you know. But, but who is this down, down there? And, and, and what are you doing down there? And then she responds, I am your servant, Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are a kinsman redeemer. Very interesting verse right here. Remember back in chapter 2 and verse 12, Boaz prayed that God would bless her and that he would give her the desires of her heart and that he would put her under his wing. Interesting back then, and we come to this part of this story now, he, uh, here she is saying to Boaz, basically, will you be that wing? Will you be my protector? Will you be the one who provides for me? You see, spreading your garment over someone would be like putting a ring on someone's finger. A proposal for marriage, you could say. Basically saying, I want to protect you. I want to provide for you. Now, you guys who are here today and you're single, do not, do not show up here with your blankie, okay? The, now, there's a Hebrew word for that as well. Can you say the word issues, okay? Issues. Uh, also translated needy, okay? So don't, don't show up here with a blankie, okay? Now, Ruth is not proposing to, what's his name? Boaz. Ruth is not proposing to Boaz, but she is proposing that he propose. That's kind of what's going on here. Now, what some people want to know when they get to this part of the chapter, the, the, the question that's looming in the background that nobody wants to ask is, did they have sex? Did they have sex? And my answer to that question is no. I don't believe so. 
Does she have a desire to be in bed with him and under his blanket? Yes, but as his wife. You see, her desires are good, and she has no wrongful intentions. She's just encouraging him to get moving. Just get moving, Boaz. And so I think she is probably crossing some lines. Uh, she's a woman making the move. She's a Moabite asking a Hebrew to marry. She's a younger woman asking an older man. And, and, and she's, she's being bold, and she's taking a risk. So the question is, how's Boaz going to respond to all of this? How's he going to respond? Well, let me ask you guys a question. How would you respond? <laughs> if you were the guy and you were in this situation, how would, how would you respond? I mean, he's powerful. He's older. He's rich. He, he could have easily manipulated that situation towards sin. But what he does, rather than do that, he, he prays for her. He has honest intentions. And in verse 10, he says, the Lord bless you, my daughter. The Lord bless you. So he prays for her. And you know, that will put the brakes on sin real fast. The, the next time you're tempted to do something or somebody invites you to do something that you shouldn't do, stop and pray about it. That'll put the brakes on it really fast. And then he says, this kindness is greater than which you showed earlier. And the kindness that he's referring to is the kindness that Ruth had expressed to Naomi. He said to her, you have not run after the younger men, uh, whether they be rich or whether they be poor. Basically, he's saying to Ruth, Ruth, you're out of my league. You're out of my league. I, I, don't, I don't deserve you. I mean, from all outward appearances, it, it doesn't seem like a good fit, does it? I mean, he's old and she's young. Boaz is probably 45 or 50. She's probably in her late 20s at best. He's rich. She's poor. He's from a good family. She's from a bad family. He's the employer. She's the employee. Now, granted, he does have a lot of great qualities going for him. For sure. I mean, he's, he's uh, generous, he's humble, he's self-effacing, he's kind, he has a job, has a good reputation, has high standards, has high values, has good intentions, good morals. And, and, and so he, he basically responds, well, if, if, if you want me, well, sold. <laughs> the answer is yes, 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 uh, I'll marry you. And, and then in verse 11, and now my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all that you ask. All of my fellow townsmen know that you are a woman of noble character. I would encourage you to circle those two words, noble character. In other words, he's saying everybody knows that you are a worthy woman, a worthy woman. He's echoing what he said of her back in chapter 2. And, and by the way, this, this uh, phrase, noble character, is the same word used in Proverbs 31 of the description of a woman there whose heart had been transformed by God. And so in reality, uh, they are a good match. They really are a good match. I mean, you could even say, I think, that they are a match made in heaven because they both love God and they both have uh, a heart to follow after God and be obedient to him. And so now, uh, so now they can get married, Right? Well, not exactly, not exactly. You see, every good love story always has obstacles in it. 
okay? Every, every good love story, when you want to marry the woman, there's some obstacle that's going to come along where you have to prove yourself that you really do love the woman and that you really do love and respect the family and that you'll pay whatever price you need to pay in order to get that woman. I, I think about when my wife and I began dating. Uh, there were some obstacles that I had to overcome. She's, uh, she was considerably older than I, I was. And is she here? Oh, yes, she is here now. It's amazing. God gave my voice back to me. But I'm catching up because my birthday is next month, and, and so I'm catching up with her. But she keeps edging me out. And, and uh, she had been dating another, a number of other guys on campus. In fact, most of them, you know, upperclassmen, you know, juniors and seniors and all of that. And I actually had guys coming to me and telling me, don't date her. She'll drop you like a hot potato. She'll break your heart and all of that. And, uh, and she's graduating. She's a graduating senior. I'm an incoming freshman. So she graduates. She moves to Washington, D.C. I'm in North Carolina. So we're dating long distance, you know, hundreds of miles apart from one another and all of this. And, and then lo and behold, we, you know, when we are at the point of engagement, she gets a, a diagnosis that she has endometriosis and has to have surgery. And... Um, and she probably won't be able to have children. If you're going to have children, you better start right away. And so she, she even said to me, if you don't want to marry me, I would understand because I might not be able to give you children. And, and, uh, and so that was an obstacle that we had to overcome. And so here we are today, uh, 42 years. In fact, Tuesday, 40 years, 42 years ago to, on Tuesday, you know, here we are and uh, happily married and uh, two wonderful sons and all of this. But what I'm saying to you many times when, guys, when you want the girl, there are obstacles that you have to, have to overcome. And so here's the obstacle that Boaz has to deal with. In verse 12, although it's true that I'm near of kin, there's a kinsman redeemer that's nearer than I. In other words, there's a closer relative, and this person really has the first right of res refusal. This is his responsibility. You see, the land was tied to the widow, and whoever got the widow got the land. And so he's saying, there's another relative who is in line before me, and really this person has to make the decision. Now, what I want you to see here is that Boaz has no legal obligation to Ruth whatsoever. He wants to marry her because he loves her. And I want to stop here for just a moment, and I want to point out something to you. Boaz is a picture of Jesus, and Ruth is a picture of the church. And we, the church, the bride of Christ, are his bride because he loves us, not because of obligation. And so verse 13, he says, stay here for the night and in the morning, if he wants to redeem you, well, good, let him redeem. We're not going to break the law. We're going to figure this thing out. And so it's miles from town. There's other people out there drunk and crazy. He says, you stay here for the night and where you'll be safe. And then in the morning, you can get up and, and go back into town. And so verse 14, so she laid his feet until morning, but, it, but got up before anyone could be, uh, be recognized. And, and uh, he said, don't let it be known that a woman came to the threshing floor. In other words, we didn't do anything wrong, but we don't want people to think we did. And so he wants to protect her physically, and he also wants to protect her reputation. In verse 15, he says, bring me the shawl that you are wearing and hold it out. And when she did so, he poured it into six measures of barley and put it on her. And then he went back to town. 
It's a very generous gift that, that he gave to her and to the mother-in-law. And so in verse 16, when Ruth came to her mother-in-law, Naomi asked, how did it go? How did it go, my daughter? I mean, I mean you have to know that no, not one of those three slept that night. Not one of them slept. Naomi's pacing the floor, wondering, is my scheme going to backfire? And Ruth is like a giddy teenager laying down at Boaz's feet, just so giddy that he's interested. And, and Boaz is trying to figure out, what am I going to do with the, the person who's in line before me? And so then she, she told everything Boaz had done for her and added, he gave me six measures of barley saying, don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Again, he's very smart. If he wants to get the girl, got to get the mother-in-law. Okay, just all over the place. So basically uh, what, what Naomi is saying, and then verse 18 she says, Naomi, wait my daughter until you find out what happens. For the man will not rest until the matter is settled today. Basically what Naomi is saying is Boaz, he's the man. He'll get this matter settled today. He'll get it settled today. And then Boaz, he probably heads off to the local Starbucks where he knows the next Redeemer will probably be hanging out and engages him in the story. And so that's where chapter 3 ends. Now, there's two lessons I want you to see in this story that are amazing lessons. Here's the first one. Do the right thing even though it may cost you what you want the most. Do the right thing even though it may cost you what you want the most. It may not be always the easiest thing to do. It may not be always the most convenient thing to do or the way that you think best. But he's God and you're not. And so always do the right thing, even though you may not think it's the, the, the most convenient thing. And trust that God will bless your obedience. In verse 12 and 13, Boaz said, although it is true that I am near of kin, there is a kinsman and redeemer nearer than I. Stay here for the night and in the morning. Uh, if he wants to redeem you, good, let that happen. Here's, here's lesson number two. Don't be afraid of taking risk when following God. Don't be afraid of taking risk when it comes to following God. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 11, a verse that you guys know so very well in verse 6, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Now, sometimes people will ask the question, how do you know? How do you know if taking this step is a, a step of faith or is it a step of presumption? How do you know if it's wise or if it's stupid? Well, sometimes you have to con combine conviction with calculation. Sometimes you have to combine those two when you're taking these steps, the conviction with calculation. Sometimes you have to combine risk with rest. Ruth and Naomi, they took a calculated risk. And sometimes you and I have to do that. Sometimes you have to do that. I remember when Ann and I, 20, uh, 20 years ago or so, we, uh, we took the calculated risk 28 years ago. To, to move to Portland, to start a church. It was a calculated risk, especially when we know that eight out of ten new churches don't make it. They don't succeed. And so we, we had every reason, you know, not to make the move here to Portland to start a church. But we calculated it, and we thought, this is a calculated risk. It's a step of faith, but we also are going to calculate it. And with it also came rest. And what I mean by that is once you, once you calculate, you pray and you trust and you seek advice and you calculate and you take the step, sometimes you just have to rest. And that's what Naomi was telling her. Just wait. Just wait. We had to rest. After we made the decision, you know what we prayed? We prayed, God, would you help us? When we left Indianapolis, we prayed, God, would you help us not to second-guess ourselves and help us, God, to never look back. 
and to, to believe that we made the wrong decision and to know that you're directing our steps. You know, Ann and I are in a season of transition right now. And honestly, it's a calculated risk for us. It's a calculated risk because we don't know all the answers. We don't have all the steps, but we believe it's the direction that God's leading us. And we're at a place of rest. God has his church at a place of rest. And, and so we, we trust God. We move with God. We know that he's directing our steps. We know he's weaving the story together. And so what I want you to see, this is a beautiful, beautiful story where we see the hand of God at work in several different ways in the risk-taking advice of Naomi, in the steps of faith by Ruth, and the character of Boaz. And again, I want you to see that Ruth is a picture of the church, the bride of Christ, who comes to Boaz the same way you and I come to Boaz. We come to, to, to Jesus, and we ask the question, Jesus, will you redeem me? Will you redeem me? And then who does all the work? Boaz, who's a picture of Jesus. You see, Boaz redeemed her with money, but Jesus redeemed us with something far greater, and that was the blood that he shed on the cross for our sin. And like Jesus, um, he didn't do it out of obligation. He did it out of love. And so Ruth trusts Boaz to redeem her, and she does nothing but believe and wait. And you see, we do nothing to secure our salvation. We simply come to Jesus and say, Jesus, will you redeem me? And he says, yes. And that's when we wait for his return, believing and trusting that he will do exactly what he says he will do. It's a beautiful story of the love of a heavenly father who loves you and died for you, not because he had to, but because he wanted to. He loves you. I'm going to ask you if you'd bow your head, and as we close out today, would you just take a moment and thank Jesus for his incredible love for you? And for some of you who are here today and you've never received that love, you've never received that gift, would you just simply pray this simple prayer? Would you just repeat this after me? And I invite all of you to do so. Jesus, I thank you for loving me. You didn't have to, but you chose to. And I love you in return. I receive your gift. I pray this in your name. Amen.